Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It's what gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. And welcome to Real Presence Live. My name is Father Tim Smith. And I'm Chris Euler. We're broadcasting live from Holy Cross Catholic Church in Ipswich, South Dakota, part of the Real Presence Radio Listening Network. And we're glad to be uh, with you this morning and just uh, recognizing how God's grace and glory is blessing our lives. Chris, what a beautiful day it is in the upper Midwest. And as we continue to... uh, Share our faith. I just want to say good morning. It's good to see you, brother. It's good to see you, too. It's been a while. It's, it's uh, good to be back out in Ipswich. Last time I was out here was for a little holy hour, praise and worship holy hour, you know, with some, some youth from the parish in Ipswich. So, yeah, it's good to be back here. It's great to be uh, living it up this fall. Beautiful day. Not too cold. Not too hot. A little bit of sunshine. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean... We're uh, we're alive and breathing, huh? Amen. And yeah. you know, it's uh, back to school time, of course. Ooh, now, yeah. uh, uh, we're a lot of our listeners are now if in all throughout the Upper Midwest, whether you're in Minnesota, North or South Dakota. Uh, for the most part, many of our listeners have begun that routine. Chris, you're teaching at uh, uh, Ron Colley, uh Catholic School in Aberdeen, South Dakota. So, how's it going? The school year starting out for you as a teacher. How, oh, what's your experience like? It is so good to be back in person learning. Uh, it was a bit of a struggle last spring, you know, when we went to online, but, you know, we're back in person with the kids. The kids are so resilient, you know, and they're, um, they're super open to, well, they're, they're not really afraid of the coronavirus. They're not really afraid of anything, which, I mean, with certain things that we're asking them to do with wearing a mask in the hallway, it can be like, hey, mask up, just to be safe. But no, it's great to be with the kids and just to actually, like, see their faces in real life rather than on a screen. And so I think that's the best thing for me, you know, that relationship building with them. Um, and then that's first. And then secondary, of course, comes the actual education part. And so it is going well, to I'm say the least. A little overwhelming to be back in the classroom as a teacher now, or you're looking, got, sharpening your skills back oh, up. Yeah, my, I, uh, the content's there, but classroom management skills, I, have, uh, I need a little bit of work. I, uh, I, uh, I kind of forgot how to have kids uh, not be... <laughs> yeah, I wonder if my if my principal's listening. Uh, hi, <laughs> have mercy on you, mercy. Look, listeners. She, is this not this hasn't been horrible? But yeah, getting back into the swing of things is. is I need a little WD-40 here and there, you know? Well, that's great. Well, listeners, pray for all our teachers and, of course, Uh all our students as they're going back. And, of course, uh, as a parish priest uh, here at Holy Cross, uh, just continuing to prepare for uh, catechism and and bringing faith formation back in the life of our parish and and family formation, getting our families back into uh, teaching and and sharing the faith with their children. Uh, Chris, let's begin this morning with a prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your truth. You have consecrated us in your truth. And we ask that you would fill us with your blessing and strength so that as we live according to the truth through lives of holiness, you would strengthen us to know you more deeply each and every day. 
We ask that you would bless all our listeners as we continue to share your grace and your glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, and Chris, this back-to-school time is a a moment of excitement, and uh, even just this time of year as we get into fall makes me want to hit the bookshelf a little bit more and, uh, you know, really revisit, uh, you know, the goal for us is to be lifelong learners as Mm -hmm. members of the church. Um, That's one of the great aspects of our Catholic faith here on Real Presence Radio. We often feature um, different scholars, different authors, um, people who have uh, penned certain books or titles. And that's one thing about our our Catholic life. We we feature some of our Catholic bookstores, and and they, they make these great materials available for us to continue to do our education in the faith at all ages. You know, I have a parishioner, Chris, who's 100 years old. And wow. I, I will always bring her. She asks me for a new book every time I visit her. And even though her eyesight isn't what it used to be, you would be surprised at the, the level of reading. She wants to know more about the Lord, even as she approaches these last days. She, mm-hmm. she says, I don't know what God's will is for me, but he has me here. But she, I will continue to give her books, Lives of the Saints, um, the Diary of St. Faustina, and with great tenacity, she seeks to know and understand. And then she asks me questions about what she's read, so I know that she's seeking to know truth, seeking yeah. to know the Lord. And I think, to me, that's an inspiration that at whatever age, whether it's just our, our pre-K children, they're just starting to be lettered and, and to learn, um, we're, we're teaching them the faith, um, whether it's our youth and CCD or catechesis, and, and even our junior high students that as we walk them through and want to expose them to the beauty of the treasury, university students, that we can all come to know more about the Lord. This morning, we're glad to be joined by someone who himself is a great educator and a personal friend of yours, um, Dr. Joseph Stewart from the University of Mary. Dr. Stewart, are you with us this morning? I am. Thank you very much. Well, I'm grateful that you're here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your life as an educator. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. So I teach at the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. I've been teaching here for 10 years or so, and I'm head of the history department here. And uh, my wife is from Bismarck, Barbara, and have two little girls and, and one on the way. And my first book is coming out next month with Sophia Institute Press called Rethinking the Enlightenment. Faith in the Age of Reason. That's amazing. And, and Sophia Institute Press, it's a w- very renowned Catholic publisher. Of course, um, one, of the, one of the big ones that it brings us a lot of quality content of the Catholic faith. And of course, wanting to be lifelong learners, wanting to be missionary disciples, um, seeking to know and understand more about the Church, particularly the historical life of the Church. You know, um, there's there's often misunderstandings in Church history. What was the Church's role during um, certain intellectual developments in humanity, in the Western tradition? Um, tell us a little bit about your, your book on, on the topic of the Enlightenment, and give us an, a, kind of a, a entry into what the Enlightenment was for our listeners and set the stage for us historically at this period mm-hmm. of human history. Sure, yeah. So the Enlightenment was an intellectual and cultural movement of the 1700s, largely. So this is after the Reformation and before kind of our modern times, kind of that middle period. 
And uh, so an intellectual movement, very exciting time to be alive. There were many new discoveries in science, new inventions, uh, like Benjamin Franklin and bifocals and uh, the electricity and uh, the early vaccinations and all kinds of things that were really exciting uh, at the time. And I think one way I like to characterize the Enlightenment is that it was a, a cultural movement, a sort of a pivot away from alcohol, uh, depressant, most people were drinking uh, constantly because <laughs> it was safer than water, and people switched to caffeine and they started drinking coffee <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Enlightenment, and that was a stimulant. And uh, that had a, a cultural impact in a very interesting way. It kind of sped up modern life, and it has been sped up ever since. <laughs> well, I can get in with that because I'm holding a cup of coffee in my hand right now, Dr. That's Stewart. That's and I... I have to make an admission to our listeners. It's probably no surprise to my my own parishioners, but uh, Father drinks quite a bit of coffee, and I try to use the virtue of temperance. And of course, right. at times, I have to practice a little self denial so I can actually uh, grow in holiness. But I can I can definitely recognize that that's a great analogy of the experience of that. Now, you you at one time had the privilege of having Chris as a student at the University of Mary. Chris, that's right. Uh, what's your experience having Dr. Stewart as a professor who's on fire with these ideas, particularly about history? Right. Well, first and foremost, Dr. Stewart, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, it's Thank been a while. It's, it'll, I look forward to hopefully seeing you sometime here in the near future. Um, but yeah, so my experience in class with Dr. Stewart is actually, I'm on history, my history degree, my history education degree. Um, and so Dr. Stewart was my history advisor. Uh, but also having him you know, in that one-on-one setting was just great to get to know him. Um, but then also just uh, more of an observation of his character was huge for me, being able to see him uh, at daily mass and being able to see him all go in the chapel and there he is. And then in class too, integrating uh, our, the life of faith into certain historical concepts. Um, and the biggest thing, you know, educationally, I think he did for me was this cross, this idea of cross-curricular idea. Mm. You know, when we talk about the enlightenment, it's just one historical thought, but, the Enlightenment is a historical thing, needs to be looked through the lens of a philosophy, of a theological truth, of uh, just a cultural shift, like you were saying, Dr. Stewart. And so I uh, absolutely enjoyed the classes I took. My favorite one still, that I, my favorite class that I have ever taken is The Great War. Uh, I took that with Dr. Stewart. It would have been my spring or fall of my, fall or spring? I don't remember, of my junior year of, of college. Um, and we did a huge extensive research uh, the year of the 100th anniversary of World War I. Mm. So uh, absolutely, uh, I absolutely, I say, I, I was talking to my wife yesterday. I'm like, gosh, I miss class. I miss college. I miss going to those classes. And so uh, you're a big part of that, Dr. Stewart. So thank well, you. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, absolutely. So on the topic of the Enlightenment, Dr. Stewart, you know, uh, sharing your, your love for, for history and also like revisiting with a lens of faith. Uh, you know, many people think that the Enlightenment led to secularization of the modern mm-hmm. world, you know, that mm-hmm. often as uh, members of the faith, if we, we're studying church doctrine, we see certain ideas come from the Enlightenment period of civilization. Is it true that this this Enlightenment is, you know, antithetical to our Catholic faith? And is that true? And what was the Catholic Enlightenment? Is there a thing as the Catholic Enlightenment? Mm-hmm, sure, great, great questions. We could we could speak for an hour or two about that. That's wonderful. Um, and I would say this to try to break it down simply here. Just that, sure, to some degree, the Enlightenment led to a secularization in our in our world. But I think we have to be careful here as Christians because reason is not a negative force, you know. And so we believe in the divine logos that Jesus Christ 
is God, and he embodies divine reason. Um, so to the extent that the age of reason was faithful to itself, then it, it must be compatible, um, by definition, with, uh, with the faith, faith and reason. And a second point is that secularization itself can be a good thing. I mean, Pope Benedict here, Emeritus XVI, often used the phrase positive secularity in his, when he would speak publicly. And so, you know, there's awareness with, by Christians that there's, a, there's a problems of superstition, of, of bad religion, which is, you know, can be kind of an irrational fanaticism that we can fall into. Um, and there's such things as quack medicine and, and people that see politics as a kind of savior uh, who can, you know, save us from uh, everything and fix all our problems. And those, those are superstitions. And the, the, um, to the extent that those are secularized in that sense uh, could actually be a good thing because that reminds us then that, that God alone is, is the source of our salvation and not any of these sort of worldly things. So, so I think we need to be a little, a little careful when we want to blame the Enlightenment for this, and and uh, so I argue in this book, rethinking the Enlightenment, faith in the age of reason, that Christians interacted with the Enlightenment in in three ways. One of which was conflict, which is the most famous, uh, you know, kind of interaction with the Enlightenment, where you've got these anti-religious thinkers, and you have these the Christians that are you know maybe getting killed in the French Revolution or something, uh, and that's that's a very you know accurate way to to think about it, but. But I'm trying to say that there's actually two other ways to conceive of the Enlightenment and how Christians uh, interacted with it, and, and one of them is engagement. So Christians fully engaged with the Age of Reason, and we can talk more about that in a few minutes. Um, and then thirdly, they just kind of retreated from it, sort of like uh, just sort of ignoring it, and just sort of focused on building up their lives within the Church, within their households, within their families, and just not overly worrying about what's going on in the wider world. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there's lessons that we can learn today in our own relationship to the world around us, the modern world, in, in certain strategies that we can use to interact with it. Sometimes it's through conflict, yeah. Other times it's through engagement. Other times it's through just doing our thing in our, in our parishes, in our, in our homes, and, and just not worrying about it too much. That's a great summary, um, and also uh, really thought-provoking to think about, uh, yeah, what, what comes to mind when we think about the Enlightenment is this period of conflict or this juxtaposition, but there's mm-hmm. also a period of engagement, and we'll talk about that more. We're going to take a short break here soon, um, but you know, also thinking about faith, our, you know, faith and reason. I think of that encyclical from Pope St. John Paul II, Fide et Ratio, Faith and that's Reason, right. and this uh, onus that's put onto us as members of the Church to become critical thinkers and to use our God-given reason to understand the truths of the faith at f- further depths and, and to mm-hmm. hear the response or the call to Jesus to cast out to the deep, and that includes in our intellectual life as well. Um, mm-hmm. If you've been listening, we're on Real Presence Radio. My name is Father Tim Smith. I'm Chris Euler. We're joined by Dr. Joseph Stewart from the University of Mary. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere, and we'll keep the conversation going. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help them to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. 
Each week, Real Presence Radio honors a priest in our listening area with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Nominate your priest at realpresenceradio.com and tune in to hear more about these holy men of God. Does someone who takes their own life automatically go to hell? I'm Father Chris Alar. In 1993, my grandmother took her life, and for years I carried this burden because she committed a grave sin and had no time to repent. But the Church states that certain mental conditions may reduce the responsibility of one who takes their own life. You are only eternally lost if you die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. And for a sin to be mortal, three conditions must be present, and one of those conditions is complete free will. I don't believe many people freely want to take their life, so there is hope for their salvation. To learn more, please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. It's a great time to spring into summer at Riverview Senior Living Community in Fargo. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director. We are currently accepting new independent and assisted living residents. Riverview provides a safe, comfortable place to live with a small-town Main Street feel with home-cooked food, a la carte care services, daily activities, and mass five days a week. You can contact Marin or Katie to find out about all that Riverview has to offer at 701-237-4700 or at homeishere.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Radio. My name's Father Tim Smith. And I am Chris Euler. We're broadcasting live from Holy Cross Church in Ipswich, South Dakota, heart of the Real Presence Radio listening network. And we're on Real Presence Live this morning, and we're thinking about the age of reason, the enlightenment, um, really rethinking about this period of human history and Western civilization and how it really has had an effect on all the world. And our guest this morning is Dr. Joseph Stewart, professor at the University of Mary in Bismarck. Dr. Stewart, um, you just kind of broke down in, in three ways, you know, how uh, the church and Christians have, you know, had this encounter with the enlightenment through <clears throat> conflict through engagement, and also through retreat. Um, we've, we've heard a lot about how, you know, the, the Enlightenment and, and faith have at times been at conflict. How have Christian thinkers engaged the Enlightenment, and what are some aspects of that that you can share with our listeners today? Sure. So, yeah, this has been completely forgotten from history. The Catholic Enlightenment, it's called, has been rediscovered in the last 20 years by major scholars um, all across the Western world, um, and and so I've kind of picked up on this theme and developed it as part two in my in my new book, which is called Rethinking the Enlightenment: Faith in the Age of Reason, available on Amazon.com um, now through Kindle version and also through Sophia Institute Press website. But the Catholic Enlightenment was based in Italy and Germany mainly, and it really sought to embrace human reason as a powerful tool for reforming both church and society through a kind of optimistic strategy of, of cultural engagement in the arts and literature and other things. And it has a lot of resemblance to the new evangelization that Pope John Paul II talked about in the late 20th century. Mm. Um, Christians were doing something like that, in the, especially early and mid-1700s. 
led by the Benedictines, interestingly, um, and also um, the great pope of the time, who was Pope Benedict XIV, uh, and also various female scholars and great heroines of the Catholic Enlightenment who've almost been completely forgotten to history, uh, who we'll get to hopefully talk about here in, in just a minute. But um, but I'll just say one more one more word about the Catholic Enlightenment as overall movement throughout the Catholic world, and this was this is this that they were convinced that Christian faith is born from a great fact: Jesus Christ in history. Hmm. So they held that faith in Him and in human nature is renewed by encountering little facts. Okay, like archaeological remains from the early church, for example. These were becoming known in the 18th century and discovered in Rome and things. And also even things like anatomy, that studying little parts of the human body and joints and organs can tell us about the glory of God. And so, as a result, the Vatican Museums emerged in Rome, devoted to these little facts that, that is now the third most visited museum in the world, and also the Academy of Sciences in Bologna, which was specifically under papal leadership and funding, uh, was to increase knowledge not only of the sciences, but also of surgery, medicine, um, childbirth, you know, helping, helping women um, be able to give childbirth in a, in a safer way, improving hospitals, and all kinds of things. And uh, so this is, this is the Catholic Enlightenment. That's, very fa- that's really fascinating, you know, to see the Church interwoven into things such as science today. We often have a, people give a, a fake bad reaction to the Church about the lack of involvement in science, and you're just really kind of, on the contrary, saying, no, we're uniquely involved in it, especially beginning in that Enlightenment period. And, you know, you had mentioned some of the major players, you know, that there were some really fascinating women who played a huge role in the Catholic Enlightenment. Can you share some of those uh, thoughts with us? Sure, yeah. So I love telling these different stories and, and sort of weaving them together. But um, there were three three women in particular, all, all in Italy, which was a particular place of the Catholic Enlightenment. One of them was named Maria Agnesi, who was born in 1718, and she was just a brilliant lady in, in Milan. She became famous as the first woman to write a book on mathematics in her own name. And um, so she was a great scholar. She was fluent in five languages, and she would get up and debate in a sort of a salon kind of conversation, which was the famous way of interacting in the Enlightenment. And and people would come from all over Europe to hear her speak in such a, an amazingly uh, eloquent way. She would usually present in Latin, but she could speak in other languages too on science and philosophy, on faith and reason. And she did it in this beautiful room that was surrounded by these gorgeous paintings of the life of Christ. And so it, it just embodied in its very location uh, this this interweaving of, of faith and reason, uh, particularly in the mathematical sciences. She eventually um, became a head of a hospital and, and as, a, as a volunteer and just and took care of sick and ill people for the rest of her life. She never married. But the other lady who did marry, Laura Bossi, was one of the most famous people of the 18th century, but has been completely forgotten. Um, but she was a very saintly woman. She was a physicist and also um, anatomy. She had eight children, and she taught in her home uh, university students a lot of times who would come over in Bologna, and, and she would teach them. She would teach seminarians, um, and she was uh, a leading scientist who helped prove um, Newton's theories correct. And then Anna Morandi was the third one, and she was a great um, anatomist, uh, she uh, she um, examined about a thousand bodies of human beings and created wax models of them for museums and things all across Europe and and really helped um, people gain an understanding of the birthing process and how to like um, yeah basically gynecological models and things of 
of childbirth that would help people to um, to improve that that science. Oh, that's incredibly fascinating to think about that. Wow, and we, you know, we see, you know, throughout history the role of uh, of women in the church playing profound and beautiful roles. And this is just another yeah. part that we get to see that, especially when it comes to the intellectual side of our church. Um, that's wow. right. That's yeah, no, it really was the beginning of sort of a Catholic feminism. Uh, the best way I can think to put it, that um, they, taking inspiration from the Virgin Mary and uh, these careers of these women was sort of advanced even by the Pope himself within the universities. It was the only place in Europe or in the world where, where women could do such things. You know, Dr. Stewart, just uh, you highlighting, you know, a lot of these contributions of the Catholic Enlightenment, whether it be the uh, really influence of, you know, archaeological artifacts and revisiting mm-hmm. those, um, discovering aspects of the human person, human anatomy, or even looking outward to the universe. We know that there are other contributors in science and, and mathematics in the Catholic world that help fire our imaginations. It it really highlights to me or encourages me that the life of holiness or the life of faith is one that really broadens our imaginations, that makes us fascinated with the created world, and it helps us uh, dive deeply into these questions of who am I, where am I going, who made me, what is the reason uh, for my existence, and ultimately the, the answer to that is the fact of Christ, the mm-hmm. Logos, the Word became flesh. Um, you know, you mentioned how some Catholics have engaged this. What are some aspects of how Catholics, um, you know, have retreated from the Enlightenment, and how can we safeguard ourselves from that in this contemporary age? Sure, yeah. So I'll, I'll speak here about both Catholics and Protestants, because our, our Protestant brothers and sisters really had a lot to contribute in the 18th century uh, that Catholics have even learned from. And um, so this is the, the kind of ecumenical part of, of the book, which is part three on retreat. And um, so here the idea is that you sort of retreat from the world into your soul, in, in a spiritual sense of retreat, right? Not in a military sense, but in a spiritual sense. And out of that retreat inward to one's soul with God it emerges, or can emerge, a powerful outward explosion of evangelical energy. And this happened in the 18th century as the age of reason, but also as the age of the Holy Spirit that we can see in various great missionaries of the time, like the Catholic in France, uh, Louis de Montfort, who's, uh, who and his followers evangelized the western part of France uh, very deeply, uh, and that had major impacts on the French Revolution later on. Um, but I want to say a couple words about the English-speaking world, where um, the Protestants were active, particularly the um, Charles Wesley and uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield, who started uh, Methodism. And so the Wesleys, in their family home, they had about ten kids, and they were uh, piously educated um, and taught to pray, and that inward retreat led to uh, this amazing evangelical movement in the English-speaking world, which had a simple goal, and that was return England to the Christian faith. And um, they largely succeeded through the Methodist movement. It, it actually transformed um, the English-speaking world and made it more Christian by the end of the 1700s than it was at the beginning. And, and to me, this is a great sign of hope in the modern world, and we see a very many, so many problems and, and the need for evangelization that in the modern world there can be movements that have happened before that have brought the faith back to people, and in doing that has a major impact on the wider culture. So two, two points on that is that mm-hmm. this spread of Methodism and this reconversion of the English-speaking world changed assumptions 
about political authority that, that fed into our own American revolution and independence, and also about human dignity, because mm. the, end, the end of the 18th century was the time when the anti-slavery movement rose up that was led by Christians in the English-speaking world, and recovering that sense of what human dignity means was an outflow of this Christian retreat and evangelization. That's beautiful, Dr. Stewart, and, and really thought-provoking. We're excited to know, uh, you know, more about, you know, how the Enlightenment benefits us. You know, uh, again, would you share the title of your book, Dr. Stewart, and also where we can find it, and any final thoughts on, um, as the author of this, this book, and really representing to us a different narrative on the Enlightenment mm-hmm. as people of faith? Where can we find your book, and then any final thoughts after completing writing it? Sure. Yeah, so Rethinking the Enlightenment, Faith in the Age of Reason is the title, and it is available on Sophia Institute Press. Uh, it's listed there. It, it comes out in a month. Um, but you can also you can find a Kindle version of the book, which is released now, uh, on the Amazon.com website. And um, it's just been an incredible experience writing this book, working through it, and bringing together the, the great research of so many other scholars. And just trying to bring that together and make it available to a wider people, because I think it's it is really inspiring. I guess the last really point that I want to end with is just how each of the strategies of relating to the world around us that I talked about, which was conflict, engagement, and retreat, each of them is important, but each of them has its own limitations, right? So you could take engagement too far. You, mm-hmm. could, you could compromise too much with the spirit mm-hmm. of the age. And this is why it needs to be balanced by this kind of spiritual retreat and also this willingness to conflict when things are, are wrong and things need to, we need to fight against them. And it seems to me that in the 18th century, when things didn't go well for Christians, is when these strategies got out of balance, mm. and people focused only on one and not maybe another one that should have balanced them off. And to me, this is the ultimate lesson for us today, is that the need to different parts of the Church and even different parts of the Kingdom of God, including our Protestant brothers and sisters, we can work together to bring about a, a more evangelical, intellectual, and deeply holy Christianity today. Dr. Stewart, thank you for that beautiful proposal on how we can use our God-given reason to grow together and live in Christian harmony, but also to repropose the truth of Christ in the new evangelization. Again, Dr. Joseph Stewart, uh, his book is available from Sophia Institute Press. Uh, coming up next on Real Presence Live, uh, they're improving the lives through baseball. We'd like you to tune in to learn how one local business is helping give kids living in poverty a chance for a better life. Stay with us right here on Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 